1925. I donate tinfoil to a collection for Japanese Navy. I only give to make man of my door go away. No need to explain that. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Well, I mean, I don't care if anyone ever hears these conversations, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times this really is just for us, and that's fine by me. Yeah, you say a lot of times, always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, for anyone else. That's accurate. I think we make an effort to include people. We're like the obnoxious couple at the party that's really having a good time. And yes. strangers happen to drift by and are like, hey, how are you guys doing? They're just like, keep it moving. We're having a fine time with her. <laughs> we got a couple of glasses of uh, Bruschetto and uh, just keep it moving. We're, we're going to eat our plate of Bruschetti. Bruschetti. <laughs> Have you watched any of uh, the what of we do in the I Shadows haven't. television show? Okay. Of course I haven't. I'm, I'm so far behind on absolutely. I used to be on the cutting edge of everything. And now to squeeze in two episodes of the Terror a week is proving like taxing. So, um, although I will say, ain't nothing taxing about these two episodes. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Uh, w- Happy Duncan right now. I think that is a factor of a little bit of getting older and just having your life crowded with shit to do. I oh, yeah, I so much stuff to do at the moment. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, especially around the holidays. I I feel like at at my best, I'm working like two and a half jobs, mm. and <laughs> then you throw in some holidays into that mix, and it's like mm-hmm. fuck. When am I going to have time to do anything? And I really feel like I am about a week and a half away from one of those periods where things kind of calm down for a little bit. Which will be really mm-hmm. nice. Uh, like I've got some time off coming up, and uh, yeah, so I'll be able to, you know, get a little R and R instead of like my recording schedule has been real crazy of late. A lot of, a lot of guest appearances and whatnot, which is fun, and I don't have to edit that stuff, and that's great. But you still mm-hmm. have to, you know, do the prep work and the recording and whatnot, and this is all first world problems. Like oh, and then the box <laughs> that Amazon delivered to me was dented and. It's like fuck you, Greg. <laughs> Fucking Greg. Fucking uh, Greg. Yeah, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I'm officially. I finish up work next Friday, um, so I always tend to not take any leaves. So at the end of the year, they're always like, Duncan, you've got a lot of time to take off. Take it off. So um, yeah, I finish up on the thirteenth, and that's me until the new year. So. I, I like the week between Christmas and New Year's. I like taking that week off. That feels like a nice mm-hmm. way to kind of end the year, uh, yep. as it were, of just like, hey, I'm going to take some time off and reflect and think about what I want to do with the coming year and what is left to do with this year that, that has just uh, wrapped up. So, yeah, I, I, I like that. Um, anyway, hey, welcome to uh, Duncan and Bo Get Terrified, a tiny little division of Duncan and Bo Come Correct. <laughs> I'm your host, Bo Ranstell. With me, as always, the lovely and talented Duncan McLeish. How are you, Duncan? I am doing very well. And can we say to our American listeners, we hope that you had a great and a happy Thanksgiving. Oh, I, I mean, we could say that. I don't know why we would. Well, I'm throwing it in there because people will be aware that we missed a week of recording. We did. <laughs> and by yes. me saying that, <laughs> by me saying that, we can use our thin veil guys that maybe we took that week off for Thanksgiving, Bo. <laughs> well, but here's here's what I did, Duncan. That's why this the your ruse has failed. 
is oh, no. when my ruse fails. <laughs> you have a, a failed ruse, sir. Put it back in your pants. So what happened was when when our schedule got bumped, I actually we didn't release that week and then release the we following week. So we'll we'll be weekly until Christmas. Actually the last episode will drop on Christmas Day. So um future Merry Christmas. Yeah, kinda. Yeah, but we've got uh two more episodes before we're saying that kind of crazy shit. Um mm-hmm. but Duncan uh, yes. before we get into the terror infamy, you were giving me, a, you were giving me that break and I didn't do it. I, I'm so proud of you. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm in training. <laughs> I see that for what? I have no idea. Yeah. For not getting ridiculed. Um, we should all be in that kind of training. Uh, yes. Everyone do that now. Right. Everyone don't get ridiculed. Well done. Mm. Everyone. Welcome back. Uh, so, uh, before we talk about uh, the Terror Infamy, which we do uh, every week, uh, as long as there are they put out shows and then we'll stop, um, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons, I feel. Uh, but- I think I think that's I think that's safe to say, and I think if the people out there don't know that, Bo, then they have just not been paying attention, right? But we did get a recent trailer for uh, Mind Hunters, which is coming back before too long, so. We are right around uh, the corner from one of them again. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's looking ahead. uh, Point being, hey, before we talk about all that shit, we talk about some movies we saw, both good and bad, uh, a little yin and yang of cinematic delight. And Duncan, um, Mm -hmm. I hazard to ask, (laughs) would you like to tell me what you've been seeing, good and bad? I'm actually surprisingly prepared this week. Um, what? So let me. I know. I know. I know. Things will happen. It's bad. <laughs> you listen. What have you done with that. Duncan? I listen, I listen back to that episode. Driving back from work and almost crashed the car twice because I couldn't see through my teary eyes of laughter. It was a yeah. silly fucking episode. It was very silly, and even editing that episode, I was really delighted by how, like, it's as much in that episode as the audience will have heard you laugh. Mm-hmm. I took out extended sequences. Oh, um, you'd have to, because uh, you know what I'm like when I start laughing. If I get in a giggle trip, you you might as well just hit pause for a couple of minutes and then and then eventually come back and when I've stopped hyperventilating. I gotta tell you, my favorite moment in that whole episode, which I thought was a real winner. Listeners, if you didn't listen to the last episode, you should. Um, the, the winner for me and the thing that made me laugh the hardest as I was cutting the episode was... It's the Mole People song, isn't it? it? It's not the Mole People song. It's an only because that's the greatest thing ever. It, but it's you laughing about the Mole People song. And oh, yeah, because I, 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 I laugh at it, Bo, and then you just continue on. Right. And then I join in on a joke, and then the laughter hits me again. Like a yeah. good two minutes after it hits me again, and then it, can, it, it hits me in, and then I realize how absurd that whole thing was. And yeah, I just break down again. Yeah. It's like your hysterics are simmering a little bit. Like you oh, can yeah. hear it. You can hear it coming. And then mm-hmm. there's a moment where you just kind of blow with laughter. It is 
it, it's one not only one of my favorite moments of of doing this show it is one of my favorite duncan moments because you are so clearly delighted in that oh, moment yeah. it was the best um, well, when it, when it eventually re-hits me i believe my exact words are the fucking mole people song um yeah yeah yeah, yeah it sure was good uh but uh, so <laughs> the point is that you are prepared and mm-hmm. what what on earth did you watch so well, let's kick off with the bad to begin with, and surprisingly, not terrible. Um, so I've been working my way through the Tremors franchise as part of the Russian roulette thing that I do on podcasts under the stairs. Yeah, and that might be, and some people out there might be prepared to call me a fucking idiot, but Tremors might be one of the most consistent horror franchises of all time. <laughs> like there isn't a bad one in the bunch like at all yes some are of a much higher budget and writing and actor pool status than others but what those movies do really well across the board is they are fun and entertaining and they know that they have to be fun and entertaining even when they have to bring in cgi so the one that i watched most recently that's probably worth mentioning here is the one that I originally bailed on way back in the day. It's the the kind of franchise killer for me. It was the one that I remember when it came out. I remember renting it. I remember sitting down and watching it and getting about 30 minutes into it and switching off and going, right, I don't need to ever watch another Tremors movie again. And I've now revisited it, finished it and went like that. This is a delightfully fun you know, middle of the road movie that I could watch again and again. And it's Tremors 3, um, the third installment where they go back to perfection. So for those that are keeping count, the first Tremors movie, 1990, we've got a a little bit of uh, Kevin Bacon. It's this kind of creature feature. In a lot of respects, it, to me, is just as responsible for bringing that influx of kind of your deep blue seas and your kind of anacondas and stuff like that at the end of the year as a movie like Jurassic Park is in terms of kind of doing the creature feature sort of thing. And it's, I mean, Tremors is a great movie. Second one is still a great movie. Uh, they go elsewhere. They've evolved a little bit. It's, it's fun. Third one, I'll tell you, the third one lost me about the, it must have been about the 40-minute mark when they introduced the next step of evolution um, a graboid by the name of, well, they the dub it the Ass Blaster. Sure, and yep, I was like, yeah, I remember yep. this. I was like, yep, that's me out. Thanks, eject. <laughs> be be kind and rewind. Not in this movie, sir. Um, like, it just was like, no, that's me out. And I haven't went back to watch it. It's really good. Michael Gross is really, 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 really good. Um, and all and all those movies now because I have seen them all. He is surprisingly good. In terms of he embodies that character, he's he's burnt through and through. His lines, the, the person that writes the script for him is totally brilliant because it is just a series of kind of that you can imagine, like they're, they're like kind of softer, more comedic versions of something like Arlie Emery would say. Uh, you know, these kind of militaristic, kind of almost conservative 
military right wing spiels, but he's they're done really, really well and he delivers them really, really well. And as a result, that even when we start to substitute the practical effects in with the CGI, which is pretty bad, mm-hmm. um he's delightfully entertaining. I could watch like I kept thinking to myself, I could watch another movie with him in it, and then I get another movie with him in it like that. He is brilliant in this movie. I could watch another movie. like, And that, to me, is the secret to the Tremors franchise, is they know who the main character is. Uh, they know what the fans are coming back to see. They can sit anywhere and do anything they want, but as long as Bert's there, kicking ass and throwing it pity one-liners... You know, you, you're going to have an audience for it, and I will tell you right now, I'm very much looking forward to that seventh one, which is in production just now. now to stress, the third one is not a great movie. Um, I, you know, if, if I'm grading it, I'm giving it maybe a three, three and a half, but it is fun. It is fun from start to finish. Those movies are just always about an hour and a half long, and they fly in. I mean, they really move it as if you don't have to pay 100% attention to the screen. But when you are getting little bits and bobs that pop up, they're very, very, very funny movies. So, yeah, um, I was surprised by that. So that is my bad but not terrible yeah, movie. Yeah. I- I feel like once you once Jamie Kennedy rears its head in those in that franchise, things really go off the rails. But See, I didn't like his I didn't like his introduction, so I'm not I, I don't particularly like him in the fifth one, but I really like him in the sixth one. I think he's Is that the a, the I, Cold Day in Hell? <laughs> yeah, the one where they the one where they cleverly try and lull you into a false security that that movie's going to be set in snow when it's really only the first five minutes and then the rest is kind of desert Canada, um, which is which is well done. <laughs> sure. I That's the one I haven't seen. I've seen all the others. And I Check didn't watch that one, that one because I, I thought the fifth one was pretty weak. The fifth one is... The fifth one is, once again, the fifth one to me is like a three-star movie. It's like it doesn't do anything offensive, doesn't do anything great. Um, it's not a bad movie. I, you know, it moves in quick enough, and the the performances are good for me. I'm the same as you. I really like the introduction to Jamie Kennedy, but he really steps up his game in the sixth one. But there's a a better dynamic in the sixth one for the two of them to play off each other. Um, and I, I will be honest, I was slightly upset when I heard that he wasn't going to be in the seventh one. But he is being replaced by Richard Brake, I believe, who is really interested in everything he does anyway, unless it's that last Rob Zombie movie, which, oh my God, that was a painful watch. Um, So yeah, uh, so that's my my bad, my good. And we spoke about this briefly off air uh, in our text chat. I saw, I want to say it was last week, um, is Knives Out, the new whodunit by... um, uh, what's his face? Ryan Rain. Johnson. Yeah, Johnson, the guy who upset some people when he did a little Star Wars movie, which I actually think is pretty fucking great. Mm-hmm. So fans can genuinely suck my dick because <laughs> I like that movie. And I think everyone that moans, it, it does things and the, the characters act in ways which don't make sense to the franchise. And literally, if you go back, characters have been doing that all the way through the franchise so you're all being silly so just shush uh, but he's also behind uh, Looper which I think is an alright movie I, I don't mind Looper I think it's cause I think a lot of people did really kind of hyperventilate that was like breaking some sort of 
some ground here. It's like these people had never seen Time Cop before. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, Have really- you people never seen? You're going to stand there and tell me you've never seen Jean-Claude Van Damme do the splits in Time Cop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is what I felt like. It's like people are like, he's going back in time and he's interacting with me. I was like, Time Cop. Time Cop. Um, but he did, he's like, first like proper directorial feature length is a movie called Brick. And I think Brick is one of the finest uh, debuts like ever. I, I genuinely feel it's, I think it's a flawless masterclass in kind of noir, kind of an updated noir story, but done in a kind of high school setting. I think it's like incredible across the board. Yeah, and it, it's amazing, it, and, and also very funny without ever acknowledging that it's funny. Exactly, exactly. I think he's really good with humor. I think sometimes people think that because he puts humor in his films, he's trying to make things comedies, which I don't necessarily think he is. I think if anything, his addition of humor in certain parts <clears throat> makes his movies more believable. Um, and when we swing it in Knives Out, which is a kind of whodunit kind of, I mean, it has comedic elements. So if someone wanted to call it like a comedy, I wouldn't argue with him. I wouldn't say it's an out and out comedy. Um, I would say he has delivered a kind of masterclass in how to update the whodunit genre. I think it's fucking great. Like actually sat marveling at how good everything worked together. Like, first and foremost, you've picked a stellar cast. I mean, the cast is, like, nuts. Um, everything from Jamie Lee Curtis to Michael Shannon, uh, Daniel Craig, um, all the way through to Captain America, dude. Is it Chris Evans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris yeah, Evans Chris is Evans. a good actor. People yeah, no, he's really, good. really, really, really good in this. Um, Don Johnson, uh, Tony Collette. <laughs> and then the, the thing that made me smile from ear to ear, that's the reason I text you and said, have you been to see it? If you haven't, you kind of need to go and see it. Our buddies in it, our Russian buddy in Russia. Oh, um, right. Yeah. You told me Emmett Walsh is in it and that, yeah. that I mean, I was going to go anyway and I'll, I probably will uh, on my next day off in a couple of days. Um, you I think totally got... should, man. If the, anyone's going to appreciate that movie, it's going to be you because its heart is 100% in the right place. If you grew up like I grew up um, with an interest in kind of murder mysteries and whodunits, I think it's one of the reasons, I've said this before, I really easily took to Jallos, um, even though... They're at times nonsensical. I really easily took across them, and I think it's because I grew up reading Agatha Christie and watching like there was a kind of David Suchet appearance as um, Hercule Poirot in a long-standing TV series in the UK, or even if it was like Peter Ustinov like playing um, Poirot and things like Murder and Honor Express. I grew up with that, so I enjoy a really good murder mystery who done it it's one of the reasons once again i love movies like clue i you know they just they resonate with me because i like that kind of fun quirky who done it you know I, I like all those elements fun together oh. and he's done it really really well so he's got a great cast he's got a very 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 clever very tight script 
um, which is fun at times and dark in other places. But I'll tell you what it is first and foremost, and it's the reason I liked it so much. It's a it's a mystery that keeps you on your toes right to the end. And I think like to get all three of those elements right is rare nowadays. Like you you usually sacrifice it in favour of one of the other things. And he hasn't at all. It's it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Um and I'm excited to hear that. I love a good mystery. Oh, and, you are gonna are, love this man. They are few and You're far gonna, between. Um You are gonna love it as as a as a it's a delight to watch, is the way I would describe it. I came out smiling and happy and thinking that was a fucking really good movie. Okay. And I see a lot of good movies, Bo, but I don't always come out of cinema kind of radiant with the energy and excitement to tell someone to go and see a movie at the cinema. And Knives Out is one of those movies. Fantastic. I, I can't wait to see it. Also, let me tell you, uh, if if I may... My oh, please do. One of my favorite uh, mystery shows when I was growing up. This this goes back a bit, but PBS here in the states, the public station, um, used to show. It might have been a, a BBC production. Ultimately, at any rate, it was a show called Mystery Exclamation Point Mystery, Ooh. and <laughs> it was frequently hosted by Diana Rigg, mm. and. It, it was, uh, some of it was uh, Agatha Christie, some of it was um, uh, some uh, other detectives and whatnot. Uh, but at any rate, it was sort of like um, um, Masterpiece Theater, only it was very mystery specific and, and would do yeah. different runs. And that was excellent. It had one of the best intros of any television show. To this day, it was all animated with, like, crows flying through cemeteries and shit. It was awesome. Uh, so if you ever get a wild hair, you should look to see if mystery is available, uh, because I'm doing that right now. Uh, <laughs> I love it when those, like, memories is something you watch, like, swoop in, you're like... I need to find it where I can see that right now. Right. Was, uh, yeah, I had it with a. I mentioned it like a couple of years ago. Like, um, there used to be a TV show in the UK called Tales of the Unexpected, and it was basically a anthology TV show based on the short stories of Roald Dahl, and it used to be on like every Sunday night at some fucking horrendously late hour and of course I've had insomnia for many many years and it would come on and the opening credits used to terrify the ever loving fuck out of me and it was all kaleidoscopic and weird and the music kind of sounded like almost like kind of carny music and just like and some of those episodes are like are like youth scarring episodes <laughs> like well, that sounds weird great. Um, you wear them like a like a like a crater in your face from a zit you shouldn't have popped. Yeah. Um, like for the rest of your life, honestly, like, like really, really, really dark, twisted little things. Um, and I remember talking about them really early on doing the podcast, and then they ended up appearing on one of the streaming sites. I want to say it might have appeared on Shudder um, in the UK, 
And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> the trauma is coming back. Uh, but it's great to see these things like make an appearance somewhere nowadays. They can go back and try and relive like some of the magic that you had back then. Yeah, and it turns out it, apparently you can buy all kinds of DVDs. It's it's still sort of on. It just got rolled into Masterpiece Theater and is uh, called Masterpiece Mystery now. But it, yeah, but it's been ongoing since uh, about 1980. Jesus, yeah. Um, and Vincent Price hosted a season, as it happens. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this is all to say that Bo will be uh, finding a few mystery DVD box sets <laughs> under his Christmas tree this year. Um, <laughs> but that's not why we're here, Duncan. Not to go through my Christmas list. Um, so, right, you're bad. Yes. Bring it up. Uh, if you're like me, Duncan, your inbox is often flooded by press releases from, let's say, minor league film companies. Yeah, questionable sources is what I call them. Right. <laughs> and if, if you, like myself, will sometimes thumb through these just to see what's what... Uh, they were touting recently the 10th anniversary of the movie Plagueers, and which is right. a sci-fi horror film starring Steve Railsback of uh, All uh, right. <laughs> of uh, shit. What is the space vampire movie? Life Force fame. Yeah, Life Force. Um, or Infamy, depending. And <laughs> this is late Steve Railsback. Oh, it would have to be. <laughs> so anyway, I watched this. And, and folks, don't ever watch this movie. But also, no, don't ever watch this movie. Um, <laughs> be, there is one scene that where Steve Railsback is 100% drunk. And it's kind of <laughs> delightful. Um, but the, the whole premise is... Uh, Here's kind of the problem with the movie. It should be way more fun. It's a, a, a trio. Is it three? A, a, a crew of sexy space pirates mm. run afoul of a ship that is smuggling an item back to Earth. And so right. they take over the ship. But in the process of doing so, uh, this space what's it gets knocked over and it zaps one of the crew, one of the pirates and it makes her a space zombie, uh, which are extra hard to kill, as it happens, Duncan. And they are they're the hardest of all the zombies to kill. Both. <laughs> yes, it's all the radiation. And <laughs> anyway, and then it becomes just kind of a zombie movie on a spaceship, but it's a real shitty one. And the problem with the movie is it's never just balls out silly in a mm -hmm. way that it should be given its premise. And also it's got its crew of sexy pirates who never really do anything sexy. They're just kind of pretty actresses who, and that's kind of the end of the story. It's like, ah, <laughs> you know, even John sales and battle beyond the stars made them Valkyries. You know, mm -hmm. it was just chicks with big tits, but they were Valkyries and that made it kind of okay. And that's what this movie is missing, is just some reason for it to exist, other than to capture Steve Railsback delivering lines as drunkenly as a late-stage Cameron Mitchell. <laughs> oh, dear. 
<laughs> it, it's really something. It's a really bad movie. And it made me... Because it hit Amazon Prime is the reason I watched. And also because I had seen it show up in the inbox. I was like, all right, well, let's give it a look. And it was just the worst. It's a really, <laughs> really, really bad movie. <laughs> And it has it, it like the ending is real dopey. Uh, oh, spoiler! Steve Railsback is a surprise android because it kind of rips off Alien too. Of course it does. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it's just a nightmare, Duncan. When you're watching, yeah. It, I mean, this is so, this is the sort of performance if he is drunk that you don't want to play the knife game, <laughs> right? Hey, just put put your hand on mine. It's cool. It's cool. Chunk, 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 stab. Um, (laughs) So we all agree, before the shoot, he had three fingers. (laughs) Of scotch. (laughs) Hi-oh. Hey-oh. So anyway. um, Yeah, so don't watch Plaguers. And uh, also, an honorable mention this week. To a movie called Nightwish, which was almost the worst thing I ever I ever saw, but <laughs> but it was so fucking weird in a way that like ah oh, crap. This is that the moment I need Jason Gray to remind me of the really shitty movie uh, that is sort of an Evil Dead ripoff, but it has the magician in it. At any rate. Um, there's another movie that's a, a real stinker, but it's just so fucking bizarre and weird um, hmm. that it's kind of entertaining because it, it's got that Winter Beast quality almost of just like, uh. so what's happening? And in <laughs> and, and Nightwish in particular becomes kind of an alien movie at a certain point, really? which you don't expect from a movie that starts off being about a sleep study to encourage or to like uh help people confront their fears and then people start dying but then by the end it's like no 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 aliens are taking over everyone and it's like well clearly this is part of the study but also why is everyone goopy and green then and it's just (laughs) it's head scratching anyway just an honorable mention because uh it was almost the worst but uh it was just too weird the best thing duncan and, and and this is because we're holding off on a discussion of the Irishman. Yeah, which I feel may appear on the finale of this season. So I don't think I'll get to it in time for the next recording, but I will definitely have seen it for our final recording. Yeah, so I'll, I'll hold off on my thoughts because I, I, w- I want you to go in as fresh as you can. Um, so the headhunter I caught up to, which had been uh, largely touted, this year is like, this is one of the movies that you need to see. If you're putting together a top 10 list, you fucking watch the headhunter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I, I watched it. My, um, my girlfriend is big in a fantasy stuff. And right, I would see, this is how you link the men, bo. Right. And, um, so she, I think liked it more than me. I thought it was really good. I thought it was a little predictable, um, but I admired, <laughs> but I know, but I admired what the movie did with its budget. And yeah. I thought sometimes that felt like a bit of a cheat 
I, I, I admired it, but it doesn't mean I always liked it. Um, when it was like, oh, okay, you're just going off and then bringing the head back and we're just going to hear this off camera. And that's cool. And I, and that's a style choice. And it also informs the end of the movie and all of that works, but also daddy wants to see some monsters and, and that's, and you do at the end, like the end is well done. And, but uh, that's kind of the trait. The first two acts of the movie, you don't really see any monsters, but it's mm-hmm. really compelling. Mm-hmm. And then the third act happens and you start to see monsters and it gets way less compelling because that's the point where I was like, Oh, I know everything that's going to happen to the end of this movie now. And yeah. that's exactly what happened uh, down to like every beat of it. And it was like, yeah, well, I, 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 mm. I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's a, an original movie. I think it has two things really going for it um, is one that I think is a great character study piece. I think that movie doesn't have anything to hide behind at all. Like to, to me, when you strip out a cast, so you're, this is basically a one man show um, and you, you know, there's next to no dialogue in the movie. Like when you start stripping out things, you can hide flaws behind. It's very difficult to, pull off a convincing movie. In fact, I would say it is incredibly difficult to pull off a convincing movie that I will sit and watch uh, in damn near silence for an hour, right? So there's that. And I think the second thing that it does really, really well is it deliberately chooses a, a time period that we don't see represented at all um, in, in horror movies, and one that I feel would be fucking prime, like fertile ground, to do as much horror as you want. Um, and we don't really see that. So I think that's the two things that really stood out for me. The fact that the director himself comes from a more schlocky filmmaking background, and, you know, he spends his time doing this, which kind of caught me back. And, yeah, I, I, I was captivated by the performance. I thought the kind of central lead... It's brilliant, this kind of wounded, almost kind of Ahab-esque sort of character, um, desperately trying to to right the wrong, well, righting his wrong, his negligence by killing the, the creature that killed his daughter, I think is, is really, really, really well done. And yeah, I'm with you. I knew every single beat of that movie before it happened, all the way through it. But it doesn't overstay its welcome. It gets in and gets the job done. And sometimes there is satisfaction in something that follows an A to B to C strategy. And it delivers what you expect without trying to. I think sometimes directors spend so much time trying to throw a curveball at the audience that they don't look at how that feels narratively. I've said this before. Give me a really well-made like a really, really well-made movie which feels like a story I've seen before and I will accept that. Give me a subpar movie which has elements of storytelling I've never seen before. I'll respect some of what you've done there, but I'm going to mark you down heavily for not being able to get the prerequisite of what a movie should have, which is good cast, good cinematography, good score. These things should just be standard. You know, like, like if you want to make a movie, these should be prerequisites moving in. Um, and that's where I think Headhunter delivered 
quite a bit for me. I mean, it's in my top 10 of the year because of that. I, I genuinely felt I went in with no expectations. And by the end, I was like that. Did I just see a movie that could have just cracked my top 10 there? Yeah, I, I, I felt that strongly about it. All right. I, I mean, I didn't go that bananas for it. I still really liked it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I ended mm-hmm. up uh, giving it a four out of five. Um, I thought yeah, it was. Really, okay, that. That's quite high for a boat. It is. It is. Like, I really enjoyed it. It's just with movies I really like, I tend to, to go in with uh, the negatives of, like, here's why it's not perfect. But, yeah. uh, I, no, I really enjoyed it. I just wish the, th- that final moment would have landed so much better if I hadn't known it was coming for half an hour. But yeah, that's, yeah. The, it, it is a minor complaint considering everything else about it. I really, really enjoyed. And I liked, I liked the cleverness of it. I liked the performances. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I genuinely enjoyed it. And one other honorable mention, I know this is kind of cheating, <laughs> but uh, b- because I, I don't get to talk to you about stuff like this very often, um, this is late stage Italian horror, but uh, The Wax Mask. Oh, it's excellent, yeah. It, man, it's a lot of fun. the colors in that movie are so good. It is so clearly, I mean, I know that there's some Fulci and whatnot, but this is mm-hmm. just jerking off to Argento. Yeah. And his his <laughs> use of color, it's it, it was really fun. It was nice to see a movie uh, done in the you know mid to late nineties that had that aesthetic and that kind of sense of sort of anything goes sort of thing of like mm-hmm. oh here's a guy with a metal hand that just injects children in their sleep. It was terrifying, it, 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 you know. Really, really fucking went for it, and the, the uh, there's something I think because like all bets were off when we reached the 90s for Italian cinema, they really did go a bit crazy. I mean, if you think of something like Argento's Trauma, which really has like, has Brad Dourif going around with like a garrote, which is a like a power, power tool garrote, which just saws heads off. <laughs> like, that is ingenious, but at the same time, what the fuck is going on? I just watched the... I, I just did a review of Two Evil Eyes today, um, which... I mean, if, if people out there know what that is, it was uh, an Argento-Romero collaboration that they thought was going to be this big thing based on two works by Edgar Allan Poe. And the George A. Romero one is okay. It's not a great entry. It's very TV movie-esque um, and kind of doesn't... isn't... Is nowhere near as bonkers as the Argento one. The Argento adaptation is of the Black Cat and it has Harvey Keitel in it. And yeah, if you've never seen that one before, mark that one high up on your list because anyone that tells you that Argento was done at Phenomena, you know, when he made that movie and he's like, well, everything after that's very shades are not good. Watch the Black Cat and just sit back and watch a guy who is just... If, if someone told me that he had him and Keitel shared like a ton of cocaine on on set i would believe that because that movie <laughs> is a fucking drug filled fever dream it's, it's just got like scenes of, like the camera's just panning on kaitel who's pounding tequila going it's a fucking cat <laughs> that's that <laughs> like, sounds great you're overreacting in this scene harvey kaitel you need to calm down a little bit Man, but the, the, oh, just so crazy it's amazing 
yeah, Two Evil Eyes is one I've had sitting on my shelf forever, and I've just never watched it. it You've never seen it before? No, I never have. It's and uh, like like I said, I've got it. It's just I've never thrown it in. Let me let me tease you a little bit here. Adrian Barbeau in the first story um, is the, is the lead. Um, you get cameos the likes of Tom Atkins. What about Tom Atkins? Oh, I mean, um, you really don't have to sell me on it. I've, like, there was a reason I picked it up in the first place. Was like, oh, this <laughs> sounds really intriguing, and then I just never watched it. Um, yeah. it's, it's not. Uh, I will stress. It's. I mean, it's shot in that horrible kind of nineties cinematography aesthetic, which does not age well. But Argento just. He just lets his freak flag fly in a way which is just one hundred percent bonkers, and like there's no color in it, but the camera works like amazing. <laughs> like you know, there's like shots where you're just like that. That this is just like incredible camera work and position and movement and all the rest, and it's nuts. But like the nineties are full of nineties is the decade that gives you cemetery man. You know what I mean? Like it, they're full of these weird little oddities of Italian cinema. Um, so yeah, that one seems to, I take it that one has just come out on Blurry. That's why you've, or is it on streaming or something? Because I see a lot of people talking about, about it at the moment. And it did have a trouble kind of pass with Argento being involved and Fulci before Fulci died. So uh, it must have just been released. Shudder. There yeah. They, they sense. picked it up not long ago and, uh. Yeah, it was just kind of a random, like, oh, you know what? I haven't watched, uh, you know what I haven't had in a while, Duncan? Some Italian. And <laughs> and so then I then I had some, and I was like, that was delicious. Um, that was... <laughs> that was a spicy meatball. That was a good plate of biscotti. <laughs> uh, Duncan, before, uh, look, a while back on one of these episodes... I don't know when, I don't know where, uh, but we we made a, a, a joke about like, hey, if you got if you got a question for us, and it like was I, the previous episode, <laughs> whenever it was, Duncan, um, <laughs> I I really don't quite understand how time works. It's been a <laughs> lifelong problem. But uh, we said, hey, uh, if you got a question uh, th- that you need us to wax philosophical about. Mm. then drop us a line and uh, my email address, which is bo at legionpodcasts.com and uh, put the subject line, get deep. And uh, then we'll do a question. Sure enough, Duncan, a question has arrived. Asking you shall receive Bo Ramsdell. And so the Ram man asks us with so much hatred and hostility. First of all, are you ready to get deep? Uh (laughs) I, Born ready, boy. All right. Seems unlikely. With so much <laughs> hatred and animosity between different age groups, millennium, millennials versus boomers, etc., going on right now, how are we supposed to progress and come together for the betterment of society? What would your advice be for uniting the masses? Uh, Duncan, how do we fix generational animosity? I don't think you can. And I think that's the problem. I think the more people try and fix that, the more fractured things will be. I think the only reason, I think it's always existed and it's always been 
pretty bad. I think the difference nowadays is people live longer. So, and they have access to the internet. So it can be more prevalent. Yeah. I don't think you can. I don't think there's any, and I don't think you'd want to either. I think one of the reasons, like, humanity as a species has go has gone on to do what it has done and technology has moved like it has is that um we are all products of the environment we grow up and the time period we grow up mm-hmm. and it's like almost this kind of little snapshot of everything and it really does weirdly kind of construct our views on everything and to try and make someone understand or appreciate or even try and accept like a mindset or a, a philosophy or like a, a way people act or a practice or whatnot, which is you know 40, 40 years older than the one that you're in, I don't think makes any sense at all. And I don't think it's healthy and vice versa. I don't think any old person should be trying to <laughs> work out what dubstep is and, you know, like... <laughs> Like, like right. trying keeping you know, your lane is what you're saying. Pretty much, yeah. I think the only issue that ever comes out and is a weirdly kind of libertarian kind of stance on this is just don't stick your nose in and let people be people. As long as they're not doing anything to you, everything should be fine. And I think that's, I think that's something generationally that is understood. I just don't think anyone practices it. I think it's too easy to pass comment and point a finger and blame uh, kind of as this arbitrary stance on on people or a group of people specifically. This is the key point, you know. All millennials are this. Uh, all mm. boomers are this, which is just it's a sweeping statement which holds no water um, and it doesn't help any arguments either. But yeah, I don't think you should. I don't ever want to be in a position where my daughter, you know, 15 years from now, um, is, is, you know, <laughs> is trying to think like me. I don't want that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a terrible fucking idea. Yeah. I, so I don't know how you feel on that, Bo. I would argue the reason it seems more urgent now or more, uh, uh, if not prevalent than a little, the volume is raised on it a little bit, mm-hmm. is that there are big stakes. You know, like uh, climate change is a serious problem. And if you have an older generation in charge and pulling the levers uh, of power, then it can make uh, the younger generation feel um, a bit neglected, a bit ignored, um, and unheard. And I think, but see, there's plenty of kids. That, like, if you look at the, if you look at voting trends, but if you actually look at voting demographics, if kids actually bother going out to vote, they have all the power. I I agree they with have you. All the power in your country and in mine. If, yeah. if like people that are between eighteen and twenty five decided to actually go out and exercise their right to vote, um. The parties that everyone claims they want to see in power that are populist and, you know, like, etc. Those are the parties that would be in power, right? You are, you are absolutely don't, right. Yeah, the fact that they don't and then moan about it is the problem. Like, you, you have the, like, as soon as you forgo the vote, you forgo your right to complain about how things are because you had the power to change it, so... 
Yeah, I, I you do you have those people that you work with that like to real pop off and bitch about that stuff? And you're like, you, did you vote last time? No. Yes. Well, then, oh, bo- all the time. Then shut all the, the fuck time. up. Yeah, like some that. of us are out there. Do you, see my, do you see my utility bills went up again? I mean, I thought the government was going to cap this. Well, wait, wait a second. The government. No, it wasn't the government that said that. It was the opposition party that said that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you vote for... Oh, you didn't vote for them. Did you... Did you oh, you didn't vote at all. All right. Shut the fuck up. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're not participating in the in this participatory government. And exactly. so whatever happens to you... Like, I feel like I have a, a right to bitch because I, like, I, I donate some money to certain causes. I even, mm-hmm. I've made some phone calls. I try to help with voter registration and I certainly vote. Like, I get involved. Mm-hmm. I, get, I have skin in the game. And when somebody gets all high and mighty about, like, well, they ought to derp derp And you're just like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Where you're just like, hey, man, like. The you know you know the solution to the thing that you're complaining about is the sense of satisfaction you have when you actually go out and try to participate because mm-hmm. then you know no matter what happens I left it on the field you know yeah. and yeah. and that's see people ask me like vote it doesn't matter you know like vote. yeah go go on sheeple go and vote you know it's not going to change anything actually it does right yeah it's i'll tell you why trump is president right now because a whole lot of people didn't go out and vote and the other side are more motivated to go and vote you want to know why because they're old yeah it's something like <laughs> seventy thousand votes across five states is what elected mm-hmm. him and it's like yeah, yeah i mean and I bet they were all older people i bet they were all boomers well and here okay so here's the other point i want to make about this duncan because i don't think you're right on the one hand it's just like yeah kids shouldn't be into the shit that i'm into i'm an i'm an older guy i like the shit i'm into is the shit i'm i'm into and as you get older you start to care less about the shit you don't care about exactly i think in a lot of respects people say uh, demographically speaking you get more conservative the older you get well that's true but that's also because all the fun liberal people tend to die yes. because of all the <laughs> drugs and hard living and fucking and, and, and eating and smoking. <laughs> yeah, like all the stuff that they did to have a good life ended <laughs> up fucking killing them at like 64. <laughs> and then what's left behind are all the bitter old assholes who were like... Wishing what? that they had an orgy. Right, like, you know, what'd he die of? Blowjob abuse? Well... <laughs> Good, and and keep the Mexicans out. You know, it's <laughs> he came so hard that his heart flew <laughs> his dick. Oh my right. god! He had <laughs> he had a coronary embolism via his his penis. <laughs> but yeah. That, I, I do think there is... Some, that's science, Duncan. That's what we're talking about now. <laughs> Motherfucking science. I, but, but I believe there is some truth to that, because most of the old people you run into are real angry about it. And as I get older, mm. I'm having a way better time. You know, mm, I'm yeah. still as liberal as I ever was, but you just get... It, here's my real solution, Duncan, is you fucking ban social media. That is the I, I rotten, would not be against that at all. I that would not be is against the that rotten core of all of this. It, yeah, we are not supposed to know 
what like family members that we only see once a year, what they think or their thoughts on everything every single day. There's a reason right. you only see certain family members once a year. <laughs> yeah. You know what the internet makes easier? Child pornography, Duncan. <laughs> And I don't want to participate in something like that. Um, no, no, like it, it. I mean, what you're saying to, to some degree, I think, is is absolutely right. I think that the level of of discourse, uh, and I'm not trying to be like high and mighty about like you know the level of discourse is lowered in this country. I'm saying that the level of discourse that is possible online, which is the primary form of discourse now lacks nuance it is very difficult yes. to make a a complicated point and most of life it turns out fucking complicated duncan not a lot of black yeah. and whites a lot of Mm-mm. a lot of shit that takes a minute to sit down and explain and when yep. people aren't willing to do that because because they're trained not to they're you know living 280 characters at a time and there's not room for a complicated discussion in that. And, and I mean, I think to a certain point, yeah, there's there, there is good in being able to, to find the people who are like you, that would be more difficult. Like those people who live in small towns and are, you know, gay or trans or something like that. And, and find a community online that's supportive where they can actually, feel you know included and 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 valued and that kind of thing that's that's great but that's mostly not what the internet is it's mostly pornography and people bitching and flexing this weird social media power that you can get as a mob and yeah it's really it's made everyone um, a kind of failed author, if you know what I mean. Like everyone yeah. nowadays can write a diatribe about anything. With no, you know, with no like research, no nothing, and it's published straight away, and it can be read by millions. Yeah. Um, and there, there is a reason. There is a reason that that does not constitute freedom of speech. In my, in my mind, there's a reason that doesn't constitute freedom of speech when all you are doing is specifically flexing your ability to antagonize upset and belittle uh, and and spew hatred regardless of your motivation for doing so on any group of people willy-nilly um online that's not freedom of speech right um well it's, it's so the, the i think there's a line that needs to be drawn and that's whatever well you can't take away you know you can't take away facebook because freedom of speech blah 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 well, you, well there's a time and a place for freedom of speech, for sure, and everyone's entitled to it. But um, when it's purely just anonymous people, you know, decrying or or chastising or just abusing people they have never met before for no fucking reason other than they want to get a reaction, then I think there's something wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I You know, I think the, the answer to the Ram Man's question here is ultimately... 
Um, Burn it down? No, I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I thought we were good. I thought we, I thought we'd lined up there. No, I'll keep the burn it down till later. <laughs> Some people just want to see the world burn, Master Way. Swear to God, one day I'm going to see. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to keep playing this burn it down card, and one day you're going to agree with me. <laughs> right. That's the, the the final show where we both become nihilists. <laughs> um, the last episode. Yeah. Where we're just like, you're right, Duncan, let's burn it all. Uh, Delete the archives now. (laughs) Right. This podcast gazed into the abyss and the abyss gazed back, Duncan. Mm -hmm. It's time we're going to, when they give you the choice, ride or die. Tonight we die, Duncan. Tonight (laughs) we dine in hell. Um, But the, the actual solution, I think, is... I think I think you're right, Duncan. I don't think it is the job of the generations to get along. In fact, I think no. tension between them is both natural and good. The problem. And I also think that some some of the the most interesting things I've ever read are from older generations critiquing younger generations. Yeah. Well, I think, I think I, like later day Gore Vidal wrote some really really interesting stuff that I'd highly recommend that people go out and read. Um, and it was critiquing about the similarities um that you know kind of modern uh political establishments or or paradigms were were mimicking those that had come before i think you only get that through 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 time on this planet that you are able to do that um and and cast a, a really interesting night plus experience you know is one of these i think it is fine in this day and age to ask a quote-unquote boomer um i don't like these terms either um ask a boomer for advice on something whether or not you take that advice is completely up to you but i think you should on some level ask for advice don't expect it to be the thing you want to hear and don't expect it to be the thing you want to do but i don't think there's any harm in asking the question and don't be afraid to pull the plug if he's an asshole like people are people Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. like there are plenty of my grandfather was a delightful man i mean he was one of those guys that was me you know offered great advice if you asked for it but didn't stick his nose in if you didn't and Mm -hmm. was just a solid dude was just you know he and and very much a boomer you know he was he was of that era and Mm -hmm. actually he was a little bit older than that he was pre-boomer he would have been more uh world war ii era and, um, but at any rate was one of those dudes who, you know, like if you were like, Hey man, I'm tired, would fucking build you a stool, you know? And, yeah. and, and so there is great value in the wisdom of older people. It's one of the things that I, I'm, <laughs> believe it or not, Duncan, I am trying shit with my life just to see if it works out. So I know, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and as you get older, you start to know the shit that doesn't work, and you start to know how to live a little bit better and a little bit uh, a little bit happier. And that's one of those things that you know you hope that you can pass on to the the people you care about and, and and people who come after you to say like, hey, you know, you don't have to step in the same traps that I did. And uh, but but also, I think it's human nature to look at someone older than you and be like, listen, you stupid dick. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to live the way I want to live. And then you're like, Oh yeah. shit, I stepped in that trap. He told me about, and it, yeah. but, but that's human. And and I think there's something beautiful about it. So no, you don't, don't, don't 
But yeah. if all the traps were removed, the human race would die out in like two generations. There, yeah, there is something to be said. A, a, a wise person one, once told me, "You need three things in life, Duncan. You ready for this? You ready? You ready to to I've change your philosophy? Right here, here is <laughs> the it. secret to life. You need something to do, mm-hmm. something to hope for, mm-hmm. and somebody to love." Oh. You got those three things. You got it made. I would substitute that final one for bacon. Well, but that's someone to love. You just find somebody else <laughs> who loves bacon as much as you, and you're like, you know, no matter what happens, we have pork. This is true. This is true. So, uh, but I I live by that motto, and it has it has served me reasonably well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just be happy with yourself. Like I'm, That's I'm, a lot I sometimes, it. yeah, I, I think um, I, I get uh, accused a lot by my family as being a bit of a recluse, which you know is interesting considering like I have an internet persona and a podcast now. You know what I mean? Like, like I spend more time talking to a microphone, which is out there being listened to by people all over the world, than I, I do chatting to my family. And there is like a strong reason behind that. My family needs anything from me. I am a phone call away and I will be there. But I don't want to get, stick my nose in their business. And to be honest, I don't want them sticking their nose into mine. And, I, that. and this goes for people in your house, I assume, where they're just like, I don't know, call your father, I suppose. There is a reason that we moved into a house with three floors, Bo. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, no, but I, 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 yeah, I get that. I mean, I think, I think we're a, a bit cut from the same cloth in that respect that i uh you know there are people that i am close with and i love them dearly and i i i would do anything for them and am f- fiercely protective of them um but beyond that like i don't go out of my way to make friends i don't i don't i don't <laughs> learn people's names real well because most of the time i don't care i'm like i know all the yeah. people i need to know <laughs> i'm done <laughs> i've made like if somebody dies then yeah, there's a slot open, but <laughs> but until until someone just goes away, um, I like we got no more room at the end. I am I am chock a block full of people that uh, that I, I but I you know I, I I enjoy my life quite a bit and 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 that and ultimately that's the big secret is is figure out what you got to do uh, to be happy as long as you're not hurting other people. And that a lot of the other problems fall away. Um, the central tenets of Satanism, Bo. There you go. Man, look, Satanism is just the cool atheism. I think we know that, and <laughs> I am for it. They've got, all the, they've got all the good music. Yeah. No, I am. Look, if I identify as anything, I think that would be it, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I agree. You know, it's all about knowledge and self-actualization and shit like that. So, anyway, mm-hmm. Abraham, uh Advice for uniting the masses, the the ultimate answer is don't. Yeah. Um <laughs> I'm I'm really hoping you weren't pinning your, your hopes on this is how you do it. <laughs> dude, I've I felt like I felt like that uh befitted the the segment. I felt like we got deep. Yeah, like and more of these. This was fun. Yeah. So uh if you would like to uh ask more philosophical questions of uh, myself and Duncan um, bo at legionpodcasts.com 
Uh, that is bo at legionpodcasts.com. Subject line, get deep. <laughs> I just now realized how dirty that was, and I'm way prouder of it than That's I was so before. Dirty. <laughs> yeah, I like that quite a bit. All right, uh, Duncan. Yes. Let's talk infamy. Infamy? They've all got an infamy. <sighs> so, Duncan. Mm. The first episode, episode's five of uh the terror infamy is called uh shatter like a pearl yes uh, yeah <laughs> such, such a good light <laughs> it is so uh written by Stephen Hanna, uh who has only done uh terror stuff um so really yeah. I, i'm gonna see Stephen Hanna has spent a lot of time watching a lot of asian horror yeah <laughs> like, oh for sure he nailed the shit out of this episode by the way both this one and the next one are just like remember what i said at the end of episode four and i was like that right you've now found your stride right none of this nonsense now i just want you to keep going right i just want more of this asian horror creepy weirdness flung at me and it's like the the terror gods heard my prayer bow and um, and gave unforth to me a bounty of of Asian horror, the likes of which I have seen before, but never on TV. It made me very happy. Yeah, there, and there's a little bit of uh, La Yorna. Mm-hmm. You know, not quite, but a little. Anyway, we'll we'll get into all this. So it's all in here. It's all in here, boy. <laughs> Come inside, everyone. And Chester, our hero Chester, is in Guadalcanal. Our stupid, <laughs> stupid hero Chester. Our, our stupid, cursed hero Chester. I mean... Who leaves a trail of misery wherever he goes. There are a number of moments in this episode where you're just like, Chester, come on, man. You you <laughs> need to start putting shit together because you are becoming what the critics call frustrating. Um <laughs> <laughs> but he's in Guadalcanal. <laughs> and <laughs> he, he's taking a picture of like a mother and some kids by a river. And for a second, he's he it, like when he looks through the viewer, he imagines it's Luz and uh, with some kids. But his kids, his kids, of course. Mm-hmm. But he has. A letter, uh, the like when last we left him, he was like, What? Everything's great at home? And meanwhile, <laughs> Luz, of course, was losing uh-huh, the kids. Mm-hmm. And this letter is like, Is the news finally catching up to him? Where it's like, Oh no, both the kids died. And um, so he starts throwing some shit at Art. Uh, and the white dude, uh, who is among them says, Oh, Chester is cracked and (laughs) like, he's just gone off the deep end. Like this shit with his kids just sent him for a loop and we're getting a new batch of translators in and they can't get here fucking soon enough to get this nut out of here. (laughs) Also, do you get this vibe that maybe it might be a little bit cursed? I don't don't know. I just, I'm just getting this vibe. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I it maybe it's the way he just keeps muttering, I'm cursed, I'm cursed to himself all the time. <laughs> but I'm starting to suspect that Chester might be cursed. And mm, where's yeah. yeah, where's Miss Yoshida when you need her to be like, get him out. 
Next episode. Next right. episode. She's got like two amazing moments. Yeah, Miss Yoshida is not putting up with any of this bullshit. Um, so anyway, then we cut to the what what is referred to as a disembarkation area where it's a bunch of soldiers getting ready to ship out. Uh, and in, in particular, some translators who we just mm-hmm. heard mentioned. And yeah. one of the the dudes, uh, who they're like, hey, Barry, what's up, man? And he's just like, <laughs> And they're like, man, you remember when Barry used to be a shit ton of fun and all he, all he does is crack when he moves? Yeah, cracks when he moves, growls, grunts a little bit. <laughs> right. And they're just like, whatever, Barry. And he's like... He's become a real Leo Steam. There's a callback. I oh, there was one. He, yes. <laughs> and... Then we see that uh, he's got his duffel, which, of course, has blood leaking from it. What's in the bag? (laughs) And, uh, you know, and here we hit the opening credits. Then we get uh, the the real sort of thrust of the episode uh, here at the camp is Mm. that C. Thomas Howell wants everyone to take a loyalty questionnaire. Yeah, and, which seems like seems like you have to have a. I don't know if this particular turn of phrase uh, means much in America, but you have to have a brass neck to do this, right? Does that mean the same thing over there? Does um, that, does that it's confuse? gibberish if that's what it means in Scotland. No, I would assume it <laughs> means that you're you're you got a, a stiff neck is, is, or a stiff spine yeah, is what you'll hear here. Yeah, you, you have to be incredibly bold. Yeah. Um to to put forward a loyalty questionnaire to the 300 Japanese people you, who were living in America, some of them being American-born citizens that you've locked up to ask them if they're loyal. Right. Brass yeah. fucking netball. And Brass Netball would be the name of your bluegrass band. Oh my god. All right, you everyone. Here's a little <laughs> foggy mountain breakdown. Ding, 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 ding. Right. I, I would love to have a bluegrass band. Are you kidding me? Make a ham. I well, Those if I didn't have stumpy little sausage fingers, I would love to. <laughs> um, I can't play stringed instruments, Duncan. Barely play the skin flute. <laughs> Oh dear. Well done, eighth grade bow. It's uh <laughs> anyway, so a bunch of the, the younger kids, including Ken, uh, who is our, you know, fancy pants from uh LA, uh, and Walt Yoshida are kind of hanging out and Ken is like, This is a trap, because either you refuse to do this questionnaire and get locked up, or potentially get sent back to Japan or you say you are loyal to the country and will do anything to defend it. And they enlist you. And I believe this is called in legal terms, the Admiral Akbar clause. Yes. yes. <laughs> it is the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> it's a trap. You know, it's, right. really that. it's a trap. <laughs> the that? Mon totally. Calamari. I think is the yeah. 
been watching a lot of uh, The Mandalorian. I know my shit. It's a good show. So, he shows up at the military office. George Takei shows up mm. at, like, C. Thomas Howell's office wanting to confess because he was like, one time this guy came <laughs> to my door. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I bought was I, I donated some tin to the Japanese Navy to make him go away. And Amy Ishida is like, are you fucking crazy? Don't <laughs> don't tell them that get out of here. It's not a big deal. You don't have to be honest about everything. And C. Thomas Howell then shows up and he's bitching about all the kids protesting in the camp. And getting thrown in the stockade. He's like, you don't think I've got anything better to do than throw these Japanese sons of bitches in the stockade? I'm about to make the land that time forgot part two. And (laughs) it really does take you away from his perving time, um, which is, I know is very important to him. (laughs) Right. Another reason we need to ban the internet. And Hal (laughs) says there, you know, there needs to be consequences for noncompliance. Stern consequences. Mm. Right. And <laughs> so... because yeah, like, the internment camp wasn't enough. Right. How can we and, humiliate these people more? Yeah. And, right. So let's put the, cru- the screws to people already in a high-pressure situation. So then we cut over to Art, uh, our, our pal uh, at Guadalcanal, who has some files from General Takahashi, the general who whammied Crittenden, the guy that mm-hmm. turned the flamethrower on everyone in the last episode. And in this is where the title of the episode comes from, where Art is saying, you know, Takahashi is a bit of a poet, and he says uh, in, in his journal that he didn't expect to win the battle, but he wants their bodies to shatter like a pearl into deadly fragments, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it's really cool. It's a good line. Oh, yeah. It's the sort of thing It's the sort of thing that you want to be able to say whilst wargaming over a large strategy board, putting the pieces, <laughs> pushing the pieces in a battle, while, you're, while your generals are saying, this is a bad idea, and you're like, no, this is not a bad idea. Right. We will make them feel every blow. We will make them shatter like a pearl. And everyone going, he's he's serious. (laughs) One man will be like a hundred. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And anyway, Chester is not paying attention. He's like, the Yure wanted me to leave. I thought thought it it was going to follow me, but it didn't. It stayed right in the camp and fucked up my kids. And Art's like, hey, man, will you stop talking about ghosts for two seconds? And help me translate and do our job now that you've realized that the dude that you thought was possessed by a Yure wasn't possessed by a Yure and was just crazy. And mm-hmm. uh, Chester's like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Everything's cool, baby. And <laughs> But the way he says that is, you know, we're useless. What are we, mm-hmm. Art? And Art's like, you know, that's a little philosophical for my speed. How about uh, we just do our business? Yeah, do your duty, do your business, get home, 
right. to your loved ones. That's all we have to do, Chester. Come on, play the fucking game. And so they're called uh, to babysit the prisoner, uh, the a pilot that's gone down. And Chester is proposing to the colonel, the white dude. He's like, hey, let me interrogate him. And it turns out that this pilot bit the ear off the last interrogator. Which is amazing. Which is pretty great. <laughs> and the colonel's like, look, watch the guy, but don't engage with him. Yeah, do not. We have got people that can do that. You are not to do that. You have just to watch them. Do not engage. Right. Don't talk to him. Don't look at him. Don't even think about him. Just make sure he doesn't escape. And as soon as they walk in, like this pilot seems very high strung, Duncan. <laughs> I don't know what makes you think that. Is it the fact that he spits out the guy's ear right upon their first meeting? There's that. There's all the screaming. He's just very upset. He, 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 yes. He seems to have a bee in his bonnet. And then he calls Chester a shirio. Yes. Uh, or Bless a, you. <laughs> <'cause> not, uh, <laughs> a dead man walking among the living. A.K.A. cursed. Right. <laughs> cursed. You've got a beauty curse. But, I, I mean, he's moving up in the world, right? The last person that shouted something at him was his dad. What did his dad show him again? Oh, what, that uh, like he's a, bringing shame to the family for working yep. for all the the white Americans? and Yeah, so he's went from that to being a, a, a ghost of a human being. Yeah, he <laughs> so... didn't quite get the spa treatment. No, but, he, did, he didn't quite uh, get it was, spa. He, he was... Not a spy. <laughs> As we know, the two classifications for yes, Henry Nakayama. Either you are or you are not. Right. There is no middle ground. Which is absolutely true. Yeah, no no maybe a spy. That's silly. Right. You you are you are are or are not. It's like being pregnant. And yes. <laughs> meanwhile, back at the camp, Ken is putting the moves on Amy Yoshida in the barracks. Yep. And Amy is like, hey, listen, how about you just say, you know, put yes on the questionnaire when it asks you about the loyalty and, like, defending the country stuff and just not make this a big hairy deal. And what he hears, though, boys, I should round up every young guy and get them to follow my lead. Right. He's com- what he hears. Yeah, he's completely like, I ain't going anywhere, baby. <laughs> I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want on this questionnaire. Then I'm going to come home to you and plant one on your puss. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> not a, not a fist, just a, a lips. And yeah, well, while they're having this romantic talk as well, someone is perving at the window. Right. See, Thomas Howell is just like, hmm? He's doing the old Norman Bates. Yeah, except, like, you can see the tent flap. <laughs> Moving rhythmically at about waist level. <laughs> what I should say then is he's doing the Norman Bates from the remake of Psycho. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the good one. The old Vince Vaughn. It's like Juan. Yeah, it depends which one you saw first, the American or the Japanese, mm-hmm. as to which you like better. Yeah. With, with Psycho, it's like, oh, well, you know, if you saw the Vince Vaughn one, well, that's the classic. <laughs> 
there are people screaming at their devices right now. But... <laughs> I don't mean it, of course. Um, <laughs> he totally means it, listeners. He totally means it. I do eventually. On anyway, <laughs> so uh, we we leave. See Thomas Howell cranking it to Amy Yoshida making out with Ken mm-hmm. to some kids who are in the woods who see a ghost woman, they say. Well, yeah, they're having the best time of their life until they see the ghost woman. Right. Yeah, they're like, you know, rolling up hula hoop with a stick and playing baseball and hula hoops. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, but they're having a good time in the woods. And then they're like, oh, my God, there's a ghost. And it's not a ghost, although it at first it certainly looks like it. It's mm-hmm. Luz, who is staring into, you know, this shitty little pond and sees her two babies floating under the water. Yeah, kind of tragic. It is very tragic and a good indication that Luz is cuckoo. Yeah, she is losing her mind. One might say she lost <laughs> her mind. Or, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, then she just kind of staggers back to camp. And finally, Henry Nakayama sees her and is like, huh, not a spa. And <laughs> says so like, crazy he says not a spy feet not dry right babies die oh no god i'm raymond like get on the rope then he just starts flowing (laughs) henry nakayama inventor of rap um but no they they you know embrace lose as she comes out of the woods and is clearly not doing well, and it's uh, oh she's doing bad ball. Let's let's be honest here. And you you were right beforehand. I think there is shades of because we're dealing with uh, the kind of Japanese folklore. I think you're right. There are shades of the kind of Hispanic folklore in here with La Llorona as well. I think very much so. I think that's maybe ebbing the uh, the kind of. The, the symbology of it. You know, yeah, the, the ghost by the water's edge and the mm. lost children. And the fact that she, yeah, lost children. So, yeah, I think you're spot on with that. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, it turns out I'm spot on about several things in this episode, Duncan. Um, <laughs> in the next. Right, no one likes a fucking show off. Hey, I'm real good at this, Duncan. I can't help it. So, uh, Chester is going through all the prisoner shit who's upset about this as he is with seemingly everything. Yeah. And Chester then finds, uh, in, in this book, uh, a bunch of, uh, names in, in his little diary with a bunch of red lines. Nine to be exact. Nine names. Nine to be exact, but there's three scored out in what appears to be red pen. Right. And so Chester then asks the Colonel once more, if he can interrogate this prisoner, and the prisoner looks at the colonel, or the way that he describes it is, when a prisoner looks at you, all he sees in it is an enemy, but when he looks at me, he sees a traitor. You know, mm-hmm. so he at least identifies with me to some extent. And the colonel is like, that all sounds well and good, but you've been acting crazier than a shithouse rat recently, Chester. 
how do we know you're not going to royally fuck this up? And Chester's it's a good question as well. It is a good, good question. question. And Chester's response is just, I'm cool. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he deploys to Brimley from the thing. Right. Yeah, I'm thing. all right. <laughs> I want to go back into that tent and interrogate. <laughs> and he's I'm so like, happy we said we Brimley to this. It's mean my fucking day. <laughs> and he. he and the, the colonel is like, all right, give it a shot. And he's like, all right, you watch Art. You watch him close. God damn it. God damn it. Um, <laughs> pretending to be us. Sorry. <laughs> I, I watched the thing not long ago, and man, he is amazing in it. So, so anyway, the Chester's like, uh, Chester's now allowed to interrogate the prisoner so long as he doesn't get crazy. We'll see how long this lasts. Uh, then back at, uh, stateside, Ken is drumming up trouble in the barracks and he's telling people like, it is your constitutional right not to answer these questions. And one of the soldiers who is in the barracks says, well, that's true, I suppose, but non-compliance will be seen as treason. And this is the point where Amy looks at C. Thomas Howell, who is there with the soldiers, and she's like, are you serious? And he goes, damn right. It's pretty good. Like, yeah, he's like, serious like a fox, baby. He's like, you better get hurt. You, you better get that man yours to change his mind because I know what used to have been up to in that cabin. Serious. So as he <laughs> tries to fix his clearly bulging erection in his pants ball. Right. Ugh. Oh man. It like every time he looks at Amy Yoshida, he just has to bend over a little bit. Yeah. And my skin crawls every time he looks at her. It's fucking horrible. <laughs> it really is bad. And, uh, but he says, uh, you need to put your boyfriend on a leash is how he phrases it. Mm-hmm. And then he says, just because the barracks are empty doesn't mean I don't know what's going on in him. Which is just him saying, I totally watched you fuck. <laughs> and I gotta say, solid B+. <laughs> if you felt like an old white guy in his 50s, we might be able to turn that into an A-. Because <laughs> I will go down, Amy. That is what I bring to the table. I noticed that Ken dropped his load and then he was too good for it. I will go down on you after I come. That is the C. Thomas Howell promise. So he's got the mustache for. Um, so. I will wear my own seed below my nose. <laughs> And I will smile while I do it. <laughs> oh, that's the most terrific thing that happened in this episode. Um, so Anyway, so Chester is interrogating the prisoner. And Chester asks, asks him, why didn't you kill yourself? Like, you had an opportunity when the, before you got caught. 
after the plane crashed and you didn't do it. And the prisoner is, is like, maybe I'm already dead. Huh? Chester. And as soon as he says his name, Chester is like, you're Yep. (laughs) Chester has a habit of playing his hand early. Chester's a fucking knucklehead. That is the biggest problem with this show is that Chester's a dumb, dumb. And yeah, because the pilot is like, my own and has been wandering the earth hungry, searching for you, Chester, and totally gets in Chester's head. And Chester is fucking worthless for a second. And then he asked the the uh, pilot about the journal and the pilot is like, you have a spirit before you and all you want to talk about is the journal. I will show you the bodies of everyone you've ever loved, no matter how young. And Chester then is like, I knew it. I knew you were the spirit. I knew you were the Yure. And then the pilot gives him a creepy grin. And then we cut out of the scene and you're just like, Chester, come on, man. Don't fall for this a second time. You were getting totally dead as well. It totally did. Chester, right. Chester, Chester. Every fucking time, Chester. Yeah, you are the shittiest interrogator of all time. Mm-hmm. It would be like if every cop interrogating a prisoner thought there was an 80% chance they were just possessed. You know? Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I know that you had a bag with the items that you shoplifted outside the store. The cameras caught you walking right out. You did it, didn't you, Satan? It's <laughs> a demon, demon. You, I cast thee out. You will take those sour cream and onion potato chips back into the aisles. <laughs> fucking throwing holy water in his face. Right. It's just, look oh, at him burn. Look at him burn. It's so dumb. Anyway. So then speaking of dumb, Ken is hanging out with Amy Yoshida, just taking a walk like after hours and he's like, you know, Amy, I just couldn't sign those papers swearing allegiance. And Amy is like, are you fucking stupid? Do you not see what's going on? Like, she's got her mom's no-nonsense smarts where she's mm-hmm. like, just write whatever the fuck they want you to write. Like, don't – the all what we are trying to do here is survive this. And if you – don't stand on principle for this bullshit. And she's like, you need to do what Walt did and you need to sign this shit. Then we go back to Chester, who is questioning the pilot again. And the pilot's like, I came to save you, Chester. And (laughs) if you don't cut me free, I'm going to kill your family. And then Chester is like, I got a Yurde test. And then he takes a picture of the guy. (laughs) Yeah. And then just like goes, hey, and then runs out. Because he's the worst (laughs) interrogator ever. (laughs) I've got four. I've got four. (laughs) Right, he does little happy dance on on his way back to his tent, um, and then we cut over to Amy, who again, no nonsense. Amy Yoshida is in the office in C. Thomas Howell's office when Ken and all his pals come in to lay down the questionnaires, and as they do this, they get they say. No to 27, no to 28, no to 27, no to 28, no to 27, no to 28. And, you know, making their big political statement. And as they file out, Amy Yoshida, who is, you know, outside C. Thomas Howell's office, 
um, is they're watching all this and Ken swings by her desk. And as he does, he says, you wouldn't want the man who answered yes to that. And then he fucks off and she's like, Oh, you dumb son of a bitch. Like, (laughs) I can't believe you have left it once again up to the Yoshida women to handle business. The handle business every fucking time, bro. Then let's deal with Luz, who is, again, <laughs> not handling things well. She is once She's more... losing the war, bro. <laughs> she is hanging out by the pond being crazy as shit. And then a soldier shows up and is like, Hey, cuckoo bird, come with me. Somebody's here to see you. And as it happens, Duncan, it's her dad. Yeah, dad's finally showing up. (laughs) Well, because he's down to one kid. It turns out... Well, this... (laughs) This is what we find out pretty quick here, is that Lizzie's brother has died in combat. And as a result, he's like that. We need to get you the fuck out of here. And Lizzie's... Like she's not well, she's not quite there, Bo. So he's going to have to take charge, and he's going to have to do it for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she. Right, he's going to actually have to be a dad. And again, this is the man that kind of turned her away. Mm-hmm. And and so I, you know, the, I I have problems with the fact that he's like, hey, remember how you had a brother? Um, well, things have changed, and so now I love you again. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, you're back in the well. Guess who's my favorite kid? The answer may surprise you. <laughs> yeah, the only one that's living. Um, <laughs> who's an only child now? <laughs> <laughs> you can find this and more in Duncan and Bo's big book of ways to break the death of a child to the other yeah. child. Yeah. <laughs> I bought you and your brother matching Christmas jumpers. I'm glad I kept the receipt for your brothers. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Guess who made it to the big table at Thanksgiving? (laughs) You remember how you used to say, somebody's going to have to die before I sit there. (laughs) It's your lucky day, Luz. (laughs) Yeah, buy that book. It Mm. ensures that me and Bo will come back into another season. That's right. Only, only if that book tops the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah. Dunboco. (laughs) Yeah. Another fine Dunboco product. (laughs) So Chester then shows up in in the prisoner tent and he's like, ha ha, you liar. I know what a yure looks like, and it don't look like your stupid ass. Its face is all smudgy, and this picture isn't smudgy. Yeah, he's like that. We were saying, can you smell that? Someone's pants are on fire. <laughs> right, like, and the pilot's just like, yeah, of course I was lying. Are you fucking crazy? And anyway, the prisoner starts talking shit about uh, Chester's kids still, though. He's like, oh, I'm going to kill your kids in front of you anyway. And Chester just punches the dude until he kind of staggers down this pole he's tied to and sits on the ground. And 
then the prisoner says, you know what, Chester, your dead kids are lucky to have been spared this world. Yeah. It's pretty dark. It's, yeah, pretty dark. It's definitely dark. If I didn't know better, I would have thought it was Scottish. Uh, you know, Scotland is just the Japan of the West, really. It is. <laughs> it really is, by the way. There's, I don't know why I'm laughing. It, it really, it scarily has a lot of similarities. So, Mostly the two nuclear bombs that fell on Scotland in the 40s. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> if you're gonna go there it's nothing at all like but um <laughs> <laughs> weirdly uh de- developed along parallel more lines about the fact, i was thinking more about the fact that they traveled to scotland um and learned how to brew beer from scotland which they then took over and their beer greatly resembles Scottish beer as well as the fact that we taught them how to make whiskey and their whiskey is the only other country in the world where they are allowed to spell whiskey the same way as the Scots spell whiskey because we have the, allowed them to do that because it's done in the same fashion. So, Oh, well. There you go, Bo. There you go. A lot of love for my J-peeps out there. Mm. You, you learn double... something you'll immediately forget every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got a feeling I'll be using that fact next week. <laughs> it will. So, I will be just as impressed and surprised. Yeah, I'd forget again. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, so they, they start. To, they start to bond over the fact that they both have this. They both believe in the old spirits, mm-hmm. and as they start to open up even more, weirdly enough. Uh, we find out that they bond over the most banal of all things, American baseball. Yes, they. Uh, I watched it once. It was oh, oh, that that will put you right to sleep, Bo. Yeah, it turns out that this like strand, of this this kind of red string that Chester found in the journal was actually a thread from a baseball. And that the names in the journal uh, Chester gets out of this pilot that they're the starting lineup of the baseball team he played for. Mm-hmm. And that the ones who are, are struck through are already dead. Yeah. And uh, Chester then tells the pilot a story because they're going to be big buddies now um, about seeing Lou Gehrig. And the pilot's like, I struck him out. And Chester's like, bull to the shit you did. And <laughs> nah. Yeah, and he's like, yeah huh And in 1934, he says, they were on tour with an all-star team. And this pilot was the, the pitcher. And then there's this whole bit with Chester asking about one of the dead guys, Masucci. And, you know, uh, the pilot's going on about this guy. He's like, oh, he had a you know, rocket for an army is one of the best third basemen that ever played. And, uh, and they're just kind of getting along and bullshitting about baseball. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, back at the camp, um, a soldier has questions for losing her dad and her dad is ending up like having to answer for, 
uh, because she is <laughs> pretty much every out. single answer is she's not Japanese. She's not Japanese. She's not married to a Japanese man. Both her Japanese babies are dead. Get her the fuck out of here. Yeah, the only time she pipes up in this scene uh, creepily is uh, when uh, he was like, yeah, I mean, she had twins, but they died. And she's like, Enrique and Hikiru. And they're mm-hmm. like, what? And she's like, that that was the names. That, that Those were going to be the names of my children, Enrique and Hikaru. Those were going to be the names. And it's like, ew, just keep quiet. Quit being so gross and weird. <laughs> just let daddy handle this. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and also back at the camp, Amy Yoshida, taking care of business, is uh, at C. Thomas Howell's office and is eyeballing this tray of uh, questionnaires. And she gets an opening like nobody's around and she rushes over to the tray and she changes Ken's answers for questions 27 and 28 about the loyalty stuff. And It's going to be embarrassingly a rumble. Oh, there is going to be egg on someone's face, Duncan. <laughs> and then uh the men who ultimately answered no like you know the next day um are all just taken away they're being referred to as the no-no boys which leads me to believe it was probably a real thing and mm-hmm. the no-no boys are being taken to a high security camp and ken is like the one person like walt yoshida and a, a bunch of those guys are getting corralled up and thrown in this truck, but they're ignoring Ken. And he's like, Hey, you know, I should be there with my brothers. And they were like, yeah, well this asshole answered yes instead of no. And Mm -hmm. Walt, I think it's Walt. Who's like, we should have known that you were an asshole. And he's like, no, no, no. I I, I swear to you. I I wrote no. And then he kind of, you know, figures out that it was Amy and she's like, yeah, of course I did it because you're being stupid. And then he storms off. And mm-hmm. anyway, then back at uh, Guadalcanal, our new translators have shown up. And one of them <laughs> is a guy named Terajima, who yeah, is one of them is not like the others. He is absolutely Yuko the Yure. So now Chester <laughs> is in, in the unenviable position of having now accused two people incorrectly of being the Yure, and now it's shown up. Yeah. And, of course, inside the duffel, he kind of unzips uh, the duffel a little bit, and we see that inside is the, like, broken and gross body of Yuko. Of course it is, because when we saw the duffel bag before, all I was screaming in the back of my head was, audition, audition, audition. I, I was having a conversation about that movie just last night, but yes. Mm. And so... It's literally what was screaming in the back of my head. And I was like, if it, this does not do this, I'm going to be so unhappy. Right? How could it not, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but we'll get there. So Art then uh, comes in and, and is like, hey, you know, what what did you get out of this guy? And Chester's like, I got nothing. Um, and then Chester tells the pilot, look, here's what's going to happen. They're about to take you to a POW camp where another white guy is going to question you. And it, like, it's not going to be like this anymore. There's not going to be a friendly face to help you. And Chester then asks him, 
if he regrets not dying in the crash. And he's like, I bet, I bet you do. I bet because then you wouldn't have to go through any of this and you would have an opportunity to, you know, commit, uh, seppuku and, mm-hmm. uh, c- kill himself in a way that's more honorable. And the, the guy's like, well, yeah, that would have been great. And Chester's like, you know, that's the thing is that sometimes you do get a second chance. And the guy's like, all right, uh, I, I see what you're saying. I'm digging what you're laying down. How about you untie me and we're going to make this happen. And Chester, stupidly, again, because he's the worst interrogator in the history of interrogators, just unties his prisoner. And yeah, unties him and doesn't actually leverage it for an answer. Right. Doesn't yeah, I mean, ask anything. I'd be like, just give me something and I will give you the knife. Right. You know, like, 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 no, no, he's like, yo, I'll just let you go. And here, have this blade while I'm unarmed. Yeah, like, unties him and gives him a fucking knife. And so the pilot, good to his word, though, takes the knife and then, you know, stabs himself in the gut and pulls it across. Um, But as he's dying, he's like, hey, you were such a nice guy and such a bad interrogator. Let me tell (laughs) you. You didn't even ask me a question and I feel really sorry for you because you're going to get in trouble for this. Right, like, you fucked up. I mean, I appreciate it, but you're terrible at this. And so he says, look, tell him uh, Takahashi's birth date, which he gives him, and the city that Takahashi was born in. And he says, when your superiors ask you what happened, tell them you got that much out of me, which was more than any white man would have ever gotten out of me. Yeah. So, I like... Chester is just getting lucky on this one and still has a lot of splaining to do, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. So then we go back stateside uh, to the internment camp where Luz is being escorted out by uh, the Nakayamas and she gives the little Karate Kid 3 drum to Mrs. Nakayama and says, will you do me a favor and give this back to Yuko, who was my <laughs> midwife? And yep. Mrs. Nakayama says, Yuko gave this to you? And she's like, uh-huh, thanks. And then she's like, I'll see you assholes later. I'm getting out of this camp. This place is a shithole. <laughs> and as she's leaving, Henry runs after her, Henry Nakayama, and like just hugs her, embraces her, and whispers in her ear, not a spa. And... <laughs> He tells her to be safe and <laughs> and then uh, he just kind of goes back into the camp and, and she falls into her father's arms and he puts her in the car and they drive off the show. Yeah. So, you and know. They drive away as if they've got nothing left to lose. The only way that would have been more unsatisfying is if she had just murdered everyone in the camp and then was about to go uh, meet a crazy new age social worker. <laughs> Sorry. I've been holding on to that one. <laughs> it was still recording. <laughs> I'm happy if you're happy. <laughs> I don't think that's right. 
So Chester is being debriefed by his colonel who's like, so how the fuck did he end up untied with a knife in his belly again? And, uh, and then he suddenly gets the dawning realization that it's Chester that was doing the interrogation. So <laughs> right, like the nut job oh, it was doing it. But right, but in Chester's excuse is like, I don't know, he just got away and grabbed his knife and 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 stabbed himself. I couldn't do it. It, it is the equivalent of the kids in the hall sketch where Dave Foley is a doctor coming out to greet a family, and he says. Mm-hmm. I did everything I could, but he died before I could see him. Yeah. <laughs> it It is the most half-baked excuse as to what went down. And surprisingly, Chester appears to be failing upward. Because yeah. the colonel is like, yeah, we've got big plans for you, Chester. And you're like, what in the ever-living fuck? So... Rather than being thrown out of the military, which is exactly what should have happened, Art shows up and uh, Chester is like, hey, Art, what's up with you? You look a little weird today. Yeah, you cracked your neck a lot on the walk up there. Is everything okay? Right. And why do you keep muttering to yourself, I am Yore, I am Yore? (laughs) Where did this duffel bag that appears to be leaking fluid from come from? Right. So Art has the duffel bag. Pulls a gun on Chester and tells He's him... He's got a gun! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Don't ever apologize for that. And he he gets uh, him in the car, or in the Jeep, and tells him, like, we're going to drive back home. And so Chester is driving the getaway Jeep. The colonel says, we've got a runner... And mm-hmm. orders everyone to try to shoot out the tires, or just the Japanese dudes, whichever. And yep. it's it's very similar to when uh, Slim Pickens has to fetch the uh, hand car that sinks in the quicksand at the beginning of Blazing Saddles, but mm-hmm. doesn't bother to get the black guys. It's that kind <laughs> of same vibe. And anyway... They, the soldiers do amazingly shoot out the tires. The Jeep loses control, goes careening off into the jungle. And it's upside down. Walt, uh, not Walt, but Art is dead. And uh, Chester is kind of fucked up and strapped into this Jeep. And as he is hanging upside down and his like legs all busted, uh, crushed under the Jeep, uh, apparently. And then he sees this duffel bag starts to wiggle again, very audition like, mm-hmm. and then a finger comes out and starts unzipping slowly. The duffel bags zip. And then Yuko like literally kind of spills out of the thing. All, you know, higgledy piggledy, all bad angles. And she's kind of slowly, reconstituting herself kind of you know yeah it's like um un, it's, it's like if you imagine if you anyone saw it recently it's like that when it comes out of the fridge so it's like all the body parts are contorted almost like a pretzel unfolding itself um and then she kind of stands up vertical and then falls over kind of horizontal and starts crawling all decaying Towards Chester. Yeah, it's pretty good. 
It's fucking amazing, by the way. This is this is what you call a payoff, uh, and she moves towards him, and then she basically tells him that it's time for him to go home, and that's where the episode finishes. Yeah, and I'm and like, oh my god! <laughs> notably, calls him Taizo. Yeah, Taizo. Yeah, and at that point, I was like, that by Jove, Bo Ransdell was right, and clip. Um. <laughs> it's like court's eye up joke. Um, so yeah, so the end of this episode, it is very clear that yes, the Yure has finally found him. Chester, you know, even a broke clock is right twice a day. Eventually, if he accuses everyone of being a Yure, eventually one of them will be. Yeah. So, uh, episode six, Duncan, our our second episode of the evening, is entitled Taizo. Yes, uh, this oh. sounds like it could be important, Bo. Yes, it is uh, directed by e- Evrardo Gout. <laughs> Did you just become me there? It, it's a weird name, Evrardo Gout. He uh, directed a show called Mars, did a little bit of Luke Cage, and uh, is directing one of the episodes for the upcoming Snowpiercer uh, Ooh, interesting. A, a series. Yeah. And it's written by uh, Max Bornstein and Benjamin Klein. Max Bornstein is one of the creators of uh, Terror Infamy. Um, this go around. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, this is a big mythology episode. This is kind of, this is sort of the episode that's like, here's everything that's going on. Also, what the? And yeah. <laughs> so we... Open in 1919 on Terminal Island, where this all began. And Mr. Furuya, who you may recall went blind and is now dead, is calling yeah. <laughs> is calling Yuko. <laughs> went blind, had his tongue torn out. Yeah, uh, then was found like dead of exposure. Um, and, and like it's, we kind of may have thought, you know, he, was a, he wasn't a nice guy. And you also kind of thought to yourself, that was a pretty nasty ending. And then you see this episode there, you're like that. Justified. <laughs> yeah, not not horrible enough as it happens. So <laughs> he is calling Yuko exquisite, which she referenced uh, in, in a previous episode. And mm-hmm. so it turns out they, in this scene, they have just been married. Uh, and she has just arrived at Terminal Island, like, you know, it's an arranged marriage kind of thing. And then she shows up and she is like, hey, before we go any further, I kind of need to let you know something. Um, you know, there just wasn't the right time to bring it up in the letters we were sending back and forth, but yoink, I have a pregnant belly. (laughs) And then she like gets down on her, on her knees and is begging forgiveness for not telling him. And he says, I ordered a bride, not a whore. And then yeah. he calls her a rotten apple and throws her the fuck out in the rain. Yep. Out in the cold and the rain. And then. Woman. Yeah. Out in the cold and the rain. Right. Right. And then cut to a year later. And Yuko is in L.A., homeless, playing with her kid, uh, feeding the baby thrown-out fruit and shit. Yeah. 
And finally, she gives the baby up for adoption and then says, goes to a bridge and says, what is a woman worth if she can't raise her own child? Goes to a bridge, much like uh, uh, Mrs. Furuya, stuffs a bunch of rocks in her pockets, unlike Mrs. Furuya, who decided to do it with a big needle or a big hairpin, Mm -hmm. Um, and looks like clearly preparing to jump. And this woman named Chio shows up and she's like, oh, you're not going to jump, are you? And she's like, no, I'd never do that. That's crazy talk. Chio is like, oh, really? I thought you might be because, you know, it is the one sure way to solve all your problems. But don't mind me. And she's like, (laughs) what? Did you say that I should kill myself? And she's like, what? No, you lovely young thing. I would never see that. I never said that. But... If you did it, you know, as soon as you hit the water, you just, you, you suck in as much water as you can and it goes a lot faster. Anyway, but that's just something I heard. I picked it up on the street. Don't even worry about it. Mm-hmm. And, and Yuko is like, no, 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 you misunderstand. I'm not killing myself. And she was like, okay, wink. And then, <laughs> she's like, yeah, not a problem. Let me put some more stones in your pocket. <laughs> right. Yeah. It shoves her. Um, it's just those girls, right? <laughs> playing a game of stones in the pocket, <laughs> old old pocketsy stonesies we call it. <laughs> oh, I remember playing pocketsy stonesies with my friends, the ones that made it. Um, and so, <laughs> really strong swimmers, Bo. <laughs> right? Yeah, you have to really be able to kick to survive a good game of pocketsy stonesies. <laughs> Or do what I do, uh, just have holes in your pockets. <laughs> That's the smart move. Uh huh. So veterans move that. Uh, it's not the first game of Pocketsies, Stonesies I've played. Uh, but so yeah, so Yuko waits for Chio to leave and then just immediately falls backwards off the bridge. It's like, psych! She totally believed I wasn't going to kill myself. And then as she sinks, we see Chio looking down as, as she sort of disappears into the depths with a look that's like i knew she was gonna do it and you're mm-hmm. like oh chio um then yuko wakes up and sunny and Cher are playing on the clock radio <laughs> and she's in a traditional japanese kind of house and garden outside that and chio shows up and serves her tea and chio is like hey i saved you from a terrible accident and Yuko's like, I don't remember how I got here. What I remember the bridge. And she was like, bup, bup, bup. don't worry about it. You're safe now. You don't have to worry about anything. And uh, Yuko is like, this is a pretty nice place. And she's like, oh, I've spent many years. One might even say decades, generations <laughs> building it. And Yuko's like, what? And she's like, nothing. Nothing. And... <laughs> Yuko is, meanwhile, she's like gobbling up some rice and stuff. She's like, I am so famished. And then we see that there is the, uh, a symbol above uh, Chio's head that is the crest of Yuko's ancestors. Yeah. And uh, it's the something Tansu. Anyway, got it somewhere in the notes. I'll sound smart when I reach that point. And (laughs) then they decide that they're going to go for a little walk through this perfect garden and Yuko is starting to really sniff out, like, maybe this isn't completely on the up and up. And she almost falls backward into the sand. 
And Chio, which, you know, like a Japanese garden sand, like it's constantly being raked by this dude. And yeah. before she can fall back into the sand, Chio freaks out and grabs her and is like, oh my god, you're gonna die! Uh, I mean, nothing. It's just a garden. It's fine. And yeah, nothing to see here. Everything's okay. Right. And like, Yuko keeps... Sand in your clothes takes ages to come out, but I don't know if you know that. So oh, don't do it. It gets in every nook and cranny. Nook and cranny, don't you know? And... <laughs> And Yuko is just like, I am starting to remember wanting to be a mom and there was a bridge and then she wakes up again and it's like, put your little hand in mine. And (laughs) we see the same gardener raking the same sand as when she woke up the first time and he's staring at her all creepy like, and then Chio shows up with tea again. And then Yuko uh, has a fly buzzing around her like we saw uh, the first time as well. And she swats the fly when it lands on her. And then there's a big splotch of blood, but then it's gone. Mm -hmm. And so, again, things are just not kosher. Then we get a sexy scene where Chio is bathing Yuko. It's really not a sexy scene. But uh, (laughs) Chio's giving Yuko a bath and outside you know, this bathing uh, room, Yuko sees this walkway and she's like, oh, that looks new. And uh, she was like, oh yeah, you know, uh, we're always uh, tweaking. It's never finished. And Yuko starts feeling dizzy. Uh, she's like, oh, my head's starting to hurt. And she was like, oh, let me give you this fancy robe. And now we're going to go to the bridge and we're going to watch some fish. And it's like all this, like this picturesque Japanese home. And, yeah. And, but with a gardener that keeps staring at you all creepy, like just a little bit creepy. Boy. Yeah. And then she, like Yuko sees a body floating in the water of this pond and the gardener starts to approach her. And then Yuko runs and suddenly she's in the sand and somebody saw a uh, drag me to hell because <laughs> Yuko's, hands come out. Yeah, Yuko starts <laughs> to sink in the sand and drag me to hell. The hands come out and grab her. And Chio is like, I tried to warn you. And then hands Yuko a stick that she grabs onto and pulls her out of the sand. And then she Yuko wakes up again. And it's the same scene with the gardener and the fly buzzing. And this time she's like, where am I? And Chio is like, isn't it obvious? Are you related to Chester? Because you're dead. And, but here's the good news. We could be happy here. And then Chio starts to talk a little bit crazy about how she's like, I know the pain of losing a child, but don't worry. It'll dull in time. And Yuko's like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. Like she, this was, this is not what I thought was going to happen. I should have thought about this more. I shouldn't have put as many stones in my pockets. Yeah, this is a very, like, Arrested Development, uh, George Bloom scenario of, like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. Um, And, yeah, so Yuko uh, tries to knock Chio out when Chio is like, no, no, uh, I'll be your mother now. And Yuko's like, (laughs) you're nuts. And then tries to tries to basically punch her out but then she uh chio just sort of poofs back you know to uh the the bedroom and 
then it's the Yotsu Hanabishi is what it's called. Uh, is their family crest. And Chio is like, you and I are related because you're one of my descendants. I can kind of drag you into my purgatory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for as hells go, it's not the, it, it, it's <laughs> well designed. Pretty nice. I, yeah, it's pretty nice. It's a nice place, but it, it it's that almost like Sartre-esque uh, conundrum where, Yuko is a mother who's lost a child, and so is Chio. But the problem is, Chio doesn't want a companion. She wants a daughter, which is the one thing yeah. Yuko can't be, and the one thing she needs is a daughter. And the only thing being presented to her is a mother. And so it's a a real nice fuck you. Um, yeah. But also, Chio is like. Uh, even if you don't like this, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, like, you, you want to go try your hand at the sand again? That's fucked up. And so... She has a point, boy. She, well, I mean, it's not the worst way to end your life, but it ain't the best. No. No. And especially because it involves calligraphy lessons, as we see in the next scene. <laughs> where Chio is like, no, 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 you write like a beast. And she and Yuko starts asking about Chio's daughter, and she's like, look, I don't really want to talk about that. But Yuko's got all kinds of questions. She's like... Oh, a million, and she keeps firing them. And, and then, surprise, surprise, Chio doesn't like being asked about what happened to her daughter. Well, because it turns out, Chio fucking offed her daughter. <laughs> Because she was never Which good enough. Never... Pretty quick. Yeah. Well, you have to find out pretty quick. Cause, <laughs> because Yuko's grand scheme this whole time has been to get Chio kind of riled up and, and like kind of literally and figuratively back on her heels so that she's backing away from Yuko. And it's a, 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 a kind of a, a wily coyote scenario. Where she backs mm-hmm. her up into the sand, but Chio doesn't realize it, and then kind of looks down and holds up a little sign that says "mother" on it, and then yeah, <laughs> then the hands come for, her. and as she's asking and pleading for help, Yuko takes the stick that Chio saved her with earlier, but she just pushes her down. <laughs> she said to push her down quicker, right? And then, so Chio disappears into the sand. Yuko then t- gets out via the half-constructed walkway and the door in the wall there. She, which, yeah, this is maybe one of my favorite sequences we've seen in the whole of this season thus far, by the way. It's really cool, because what, what happens here is that when she opens the door, it's all just earth. You know, like dirt and shit. And she starts to claw through it until that mm-hmm. until she's got enough dirt out that she can tunnel her way through it. And then, wouldn't you know it, uh, it opens up into the cemetery where the corpse of Yuko drags herself out of the ground. Yeah, 21 years, I think is what it said, 21 yeah. years later. Yes, it is now 1941. And so then we flash forward a little further to 1943 in the Colinas de Oro Relocation Center. 
mm-hmm. where Chester is being uh, woken up in the back of the uh, of a truck and is being returned home because after the Jeep accident, they were like, "Well, we've got to send you back. Like you're kind of worthless to us. You can't you can't fight anymore." And this is a great Miss Yoshida moment where she's like, "Wait a second, Chester's coming home." <laughs> fuck we are all doomed all of us are dead now way to go everybody way to get chester back <laughs> she's so fucking good <laughs> she's awesome and- she, she basically says she's like you you know your boy's cursed and you know I, my, my boy who's fighting in italy just now is less cursed than, than chester is you're yeah. aware of that and he's like wearing nothing but albatrosses around his neck and breaking mirrors left and right and he is in way better shape than chester henry and miss nakayama are like hey would you back off our kid for a second just can it like i'm i will honestly and genuinely tell you i hope your kid comes home safe soon quit being a bitch and (laughs) and you know miss yashida is like fine whatever i mean i hope your kid comes home safe not cursed that'd be nice uh, do they get rid of that in Guadalcanal? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so they show up, uh, or Chester shows up, and they tell him, like, hey, Luz is gone. And he, uh, Miss uh, Nakayama, hands Chester a note left for him by Luz. And she's like, I'm really sorry, but she's she's done. And... So Chester then goes to visit the graves of his twins and he falls asleep there. Yeah. And this it is wakes what, up to the, to the the sweet sound of birds in the morning, maybe the cascading sun through the clouds gently dancing on his skin. Oh, even better, it's Miss Yoshida <laughs> who when waking up to find Chester asleep on the graves of twin children, I'm sure was like the fuck, man? Even if he came home without a curse, he's definitely got one now. <laughs> and she just shows up to yell at him for being cursed. Like, she mm-hmm. has no end game here other than to be like, you're awful. You should leave. Yeah. <laughs> leave us alone, please. And then, very tellingly, like, Miss Nakayama shows up and, and is chasing Miss Yoshida off. Before she can mm-hmm. just set fire to Chester or something. <laughs> and Miss Yoshida then drops the real bombshell where she's like, none of this would have happened if you hadn't been so selfish, uh, Asuko Nakayama. And Miss Nakayama then pulls Chester away, who is like, what? What? What, what are you? What is she talking about? And then, but Miss Nakayama also says, you know what? She's kind of right. And Chester is like, wait a second, what what is going on here? And then suddenly, uh, oh, Miss yep. Nakayama is possessed by Yuko. She gets the, the neck cracks. And mm-hmm. when they hug, Chester realizes almost immediately that it, this is not the hug of his mother. Which yeah. seems to kind of please Yuko. Yeah. And Yuko then tells him, you need to go to your woman. Our line must continue. And then Chester is like, Yore? And she's like, Yes, you dumb shit. Of course. And he's like, 
let my mom go. And Yuko is like, you call this woman mother? I call her a thief. And Chester's like, wait a second. Is something going on here? Am I cursed? Man. You're like, are you kidding me, Chester? And even then, wait. Yuko, Yuko then just strangles Chester for being so fucking stupid. Yeah, she does what every viewer in this show has been wanting to do since episode one. And she stops herself, finally, and then releases Asko as, like, Henry and a bunch of other people who have been kind of eyeballing what this conversation was for a second. Then once she starts strangling them, you know, people come running. And Mm -hmm. Asko completely collapses. And when they get her back into the barracks, she says... You know, I could see you and I could see what I was doing, but I couldn't do anything to stop it. And here's the the bombshell. Here's the thing I didn't get right about this, which is that Yuko, as it happens, is Asko's sister. Yeah. And that So they are relieved. Yes, yes. And the idea was that she she was married to Henry. Furuya was single, and so she kind of uh, Osco kind of played matchmaker to between Mr. Furuya and and her sister Yuko but of course Yuko shows up pregnant which uh was the uh it, like the um father was uh someone who was in the the air force or the navy or something yeah died. yeah yeah the anonymous soldier sort of guy yeah, I mean, they might have dated or something, but I mean, he died in combat, and and um, so Yuko was left with this child, and and that's you know why she was looking for an arrangement like uh, like she was in the first place, and they uh, they finally spell it out for him like you were Yuko's, like she you are that child, and it still takes him a second where Chester's like, wait a second. Are you telling me you're not my mother? And you're like, are you Chester? <laughs> Pass the peace. <laughs> Pass the peace. <laughs> and Taizo, the name of this episode, and, and the last weird word we heard from the, the previous episode, was the name that he was given by Yuko. Mm-hmm. And as they're having this conversation, Duncan, it turns out it's the 4th of July. The beaches are open. And amity, as you know, means friendship. But, yeah. <laughs> no, it's the 4th of July, and, like, fireworks are going off, and a bunch of the people in the camp are gathered together, and they're kind of ooing and aahing. And then Yuko is seen among these people celebrating. Yeah, just holding a baby. Right. Just went baby, baby shopping. Got a baby. And then there's a quick scene with uh, Chester losing his shit because now that he's learned all this revelation about Yuko and what his history is, he's like, fuck you, mom. You're not my real mom. You can't tell me to do anything. (laughs) And then, uh, Henry is like, son, calm down. He's like, you can't tell me shit. At least she's related to me. You're nothing to me, old man. And Henry's like, all right. I mean, if that's how you want to play this. And then Chester (laughs) storms out. Yeah, he's like, don't be coming back in here in five minutes' time looking for a favor for me, like exercising the demon. Right. Yeah, hey, 
you find uh, a a demon just laying around in a shallow grave, don't come crying to Henry. Spa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's really specific. Yeah, right. Yeah, but so yeah, Yuko's roaming around with this baby, which is never a good sign. And she takes the baby to the edge of a grave and falls backwards. And then she wakes up in this garden, but she's alone. And this was a grand experiment by killing a child to see if she could mm-hmm. take a baby into this garden. And then she would just stay there. She would have a, a baby of her own. And, uh, but it turns out only her blood can join her. And then Chester follows the sound of a crying baby to the grave where yep. he finds said crying baby and Yuko kind of in like a coma state where she's like all yeah. in her garden area or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they haul her body back to George Takei uh, along with like Henry and, and Asko are there. And uh, George Takei is like, oh my. <laughs> this is a demon. If we destroy the body, her soul would be destroyed too. And <laughs> I, was, I was happy about that too. Uh, and then <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> and then Henry is like, well, then that's what we got to do. We got to burn her down. And Oscar's like, wait a second. That's my sister you're talking about. And they're like, oh yeah, right. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Sorry, Miss Nagiyama. And then she's like, okay, you should probably set yeah. her on fire. And then once again, another like pure full-on nod to the, the heritage and history of Asian horror cinema. We get a bit of a Kaidoran uh, here where they're actually painting on her face all the kanji symbols uh, for the dead. And then we get these gnarly, like they're basically start wrapping her in fucking barbed wire. Yeah. Just in case she decides to walk. <laughs> and then Douse her. Oh my her... god, what is that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean nowhere like my watch must have picked up something and started playing. That's crazy. <laughs> French accordion. <laughs> Hello, that was Duncan. The creepiest... It is your alarm. It is past time for bed, but you know, French alarm clocks, we don't play by the rules. Your bedtime was two hours ago, but fuck you. <laughs> no fucking idea why I'm there. Oh, I about shot myself, honestly. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they're they're giving her the the quite end treatment on on her face and and body and whatnot, and uh, then they just douse her with fucking gasoline. Yep. And Chester is like, okay, uh, now that gas fumes are literally everywhere, I'm gonna need a moment alone in here. <laughs> this is why Chester's so dumb. He's just the, yeah, yeah, whacked yeah, out Chester. on gas fumes and the yayo, yeah, the toot snoot, the booger sugar, clean burning propane. <laughs> um, and anyway, Chester then lights the fire, kicks the tires, and lights the fires. And mm-hmm. Yuko is ba- like back in her garden world is like. Hmm. I feel hot all of a sudden. She's like, I can't remember drawing all these symbols on me. Yeah. (laughs) I just put on some foundation, not this. And then 
she opens the door to like back to our world and it's just a wall of fire Mm -hmm. and so she calls taizo's name like taizo taizo and then henry looks over at chester like all meaningful like huh well this is gonna be a conversation later and (laughs) this is something we will have to talk about at some point yeah this is gonna be a real weird christmas this year i got a feeling (laughs) and (laughs) and then we see in the garden world like the words are like burning away uh from uh yuko's body and then she just runs into the flames as we see Mm -hmm. like fireworks going off and all that kind of stuff and and so we kind of fade out on this big epic moment where it's like, oh my god, uh, Yuko has been burned to death. Uh, they they have rid the camp of of her evil presence, and uh, against the backdrop of Fourth of July. Left after this, right? <laughs> How in the world? And then we see uh, the next day that there are feet in the ashes, like a uh, footprints walking away from the ruins of the shed where Yuko was burned. And then we mm-hmm. hear in voiceover Yuko saying, Taizo. And uh. credits. Which, all right. So, Duncan. Yep. Uh, these episodes were super cool. Chester is yeah. terrible as a main he's, character. He's consistently terrible as a main character. That's problematic. That is not great for uh this season of the terror but all the surrounding stuff is really good yeah all the 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 really i think the set up in the previous episode that some really so and um episode four they really kind of started flexing their muscles to do with the kind of asian horror stuff which i really enjoyed it kind of feels like they've found the rhythm like found their real rhythm through these last two episodes, giving us episode five, which leans very much um, to kind of more modern uh, Asian horror movies, kind of circa 2000 and onwards. And then this episode specifically kind of feels like it goes back to its kind of spiritual roots. So kind of uh, 50s, 60s, 70s sort of um, kind of Asian uh, horror as well, kind of influences just kind of permeating through. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think Chester is the big weak point of this show, and unfortunately, he's going to be the big weak point. I, I imagine right to the very end now. Um, and I, I still think at times the show, like even in episode five, we're, we're taking a long time to move the story along when it comes to the back and forth and the interrogation. But when this show starts to get into it it's brilliant i mean it's absolutely phenomenal so i think there's i think the the pacing and the balance is just off on this season compared to the first season i think the first season um aided it being so methodical and slow in its delivery where in this one i feel like i'm just kind of what i just want the horror to happen all the time and when it does happen, it's amazing. So, yeah, I'm loving it, though. I, I'm very much looking forward. I have no idea where we're going with this. And that's the best and most exciting way to be, I think, when watching this show. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, with you. I, I, Like I said, I think Chester is problematic. Um, I wish... I, yeah, I think you're right about the pace. And I wish some of that would pick up a little bit more. But when it gets around to being genuinely scary it does manage to do that and, mm-hmm. and, and bring, 
some quality creep uh, to the proceeding. So, yeah. So my prediction, Duncan, Uh-oh. and I don't think still th- going. Yeah, I don't think this is a big reach, but I think she is not going to be happy about being set on fire. Uh, I, I would imagine not. <laughs> and, and I think that it is now going to be like Yuko set loose. I hope. What I hope is that it's just Yuko not even giving a shit about saving Taizo anymore. And I'm I'm now going to wreak hell upon this camp. And, yeah. you know, we'll see. But that's what I hope and, and that's what I expect. Yeah, she might not actually have an afterworld to go back to now. Right, yeah. I mean, I suppose there is that. I don't, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what the state of Yuko is, but um, I don't know. Any any other parting thoughts on on this pair of episodes and what what's ahead of us? Um, just that I, I did. I really enjoyed these two back to back. This is the first episode where we've had two episodes viewing that to me just felt great. You just like really kind of encapsulate. This is what I want. As soon as the NMs were doing like a, a kind of Asian horror, kind of Japanese horror inspired season, this is the sort of stuff I was wanting, and it's given me it, and I, no other show has given me it. So I, I know I did read some comments, um, some people saying that they're listening to the show and that they just thought it wasn't very good overall. Them being finished already, and I can kind of see why people would check out. Um, it's just given me so much visually and and then the kind of J-horror um, sphere, which I am really interested in, that, you know, has, has got my attention. I mean, it could completely fall apart from now on. And if it does, then, you know, it is what it is. But it's given me some stuff that I never thought I would ever see on TV. And I'm for, for that, I'm thankful. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm kind of. I think it's very cool that J horror is making its way to television and in, in this kind of pure form. And, and I like that about it. I like a lot. I mean, I, I think there's a lot to be mine from sort of the, the, the setting and that sort yeah. of thing. So mm-hmm. I've, I've been enjoying that side of it quite a bit. Um, I mean, it's no season one of the terror. N- no. no, no question about no. that. But it's still, you know, good horror television. I would argue. I would, I would agree with you there. Definitely, right. I think um, there's a there is a a place in the world for a show like The Terror to continue beyond this season. Well, yeah, I I uh, completely agree with that. So, uh, Duncan, before we get out of here, yes, uh, mm-hmm. where, if people would like to hear more out of you, where could they do such a thing? They can check me out on the podcast Under the Stairs. That can be found at tputzcast.com or facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast. It's on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. That is a lot. Uh, On my side of the fence, you can go to legionpodcasts.com where you can find this show, uh, Pick 6 Movies um, that I do as well. Uh, a number of other things, uh, including Legion Inc., which is all about comic books and is exclusive to the Legion podcast uh, podcast feed, um, as well as a number of other shows that have nothing to do with but are, are equally good and, and wonderful and worth your time, also available at legionpodcasts.com. So we will be back 
in one week to talk about episodes seven and eight, the penultimate episode of this season of Duncan and Bo Come Correct, a.k.a. Duncan and Bo Get Terrified. I guess the only thing left to do, Duncan, is for you to say goodnight. Good night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's really funny about that is what people can't see. <laughs> you made that made that noise and um, would you like to tell everyone out there who your profile photo was oh yeah, clint howard <laughs> yeah clint howard i'm looking at clint howard and all i had was <laughs> <laughs> well you know what i you know what clint and i you know what kent and i are waiting for <laughs> come on duncan don't be stingy <laughs> good night everyone ah! <laughs> <laughs> Surviving on the streets